Amen. All right. Well, let's take the Word of God and turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, if you turn in your Bibles, and I know it may seem strange at this point, why does the preacher have a stick? <laughs> All right. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but... By the end of the message, I hope you'll get the point. As we uh, turn our Bibles here, something that we get to Exodus chapter 4, and something that we notice at this point is that uh, Moses has had something in his hand the whole time. Uh, we go, we're going to see in the passage we read in Exodus chapter 4, that God is going to ask a question of Moses. He's a simple question. What is in thine hand? And so Moses had the rod in his hand the whole time. As we will begin reading in just a moment, we continue here. There is a conversation between the Lord and Moses, and we see um, really two additional points of argument by Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Uh, he had already asked a question about Merit. You remember he said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Uh, so I think that that question was a question of merit. He probably thought that somebody else should go, not himself. And by the way, when he's standing and saying that, he's, he's standing with a rod in his hand. And then he asked another question later in Exodus chapter 3, and that was a question about authority. He, he asked, what shall I say unto them? Because he says, you're going to go to the elders and tell them that the Lord sent me. And he, Moses said, well, I, what am I going to say to them? Uh, where is the authority for me coming to them come from? And the Lord gives, them, uh, gives him an answer. You're going to tell them I am hath sent me. So what has happened up to this point before we go to Exodus chapter 4? Well, Moses is uh, keeping the flock of his uh, uh, father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he took him to the backside of the desert, the mountain of Horeb, and so he has got a uh, uh, either a rod or a staff. It's used it said a staff in the Bible as well as a rod. He has a rod in his hand, and he sees again that there is a bush that is burning that is not being consumed. Uh, then from the bush we see. Uh, the voice of the Lord speaking from the bush to Moses, and, and then the Lord proceeds to uh, tell Moses what he has come down to do. He tells Moses that he has come down, he has seen the affliction, he has heard their cry, and he has come down to deliver them. And then he's going to turn to Moses, and he's going to call Moses to do exactly that. And then accompanied with that, the Lord promises Moses that he would be with him. Uh, and then he gives Moses the wonderful revelation of his name, I am that I am. Uh, he says that the children of Israel are going to hearken to his voice. They're going to listen to Moses. And then also that the children of Israel will be delivered after being opposed by Pharaoh over and over again that God would deliver them through mighty signs and wonders. And so we get to chapter 4, and we know that this is a discussion, a conversation between the Lord and Moses, and it seems that Moses is doing all that he can not to be the one who represents the Lord. 
It seems by the questions he's trying to find some grounds not to serve the Lord. Remember at the beginning of chapter 3, he is comfortable. The Bible says in, at the end of Exodus chapter 2, he was content to dwell with the man. In other words, he, he was content in his status in the world to be where he was. And so he didn't feel like he needed to go to Egypt and do anything spectacular or special. He is content to be there by himself with sheep around him, content to be there in the desert, unbothered uh, by human affairs, unbothered by other people, unbothered by millions of Israelites who would follow them. And so we see here that there's uh, many excuses and arguments, questions between him and the Lord uh, one commentator said that as fast as one difficulty is swept away when God answers Moses, his fearful and fertile mind has another ready to take its place. I, I think we all get to the place where when we make excuses to serve the Lord, and then those excuses are answered, then another excuse comes down the pike. And that's where we find Moses. Uh, jo Joseph Parker said, Man excusing himself from duty is a familiar picture. How inventive we are in finding excuses for not doing the will of God. The truth is when we really want to do something, we do everything to make it happen. But sometimes when we really don't want to do something, we find uh, quick excuses not to do what we ought to be doing. In the next two arguments that Moses is going to ask, we're going to read the text here in just a moment, but notice Exodus chapter 4. Uh, Moses excused, or argument number 1 in verse 1, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And so, the first excuse is one we could say, uh, a fear of public rejection. Could we say that? A fear of public... They're not going to believe me. I'm going to go there. They're not going to believe me. Um, and, and furthermore, they're not going to believe that you appeared to me and that you sent me to them. So we could say here that his first argument is one of fear of public rejection. The second one in verse 10... And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And so his second argument in this chapter is, one, is a fear of personal failure. I can't do this job that you ask of me. I'm not eloquent. I'm not speaking. Obviously, you're wanting me to be your representative you want me to speak to Pharaoh. You want me to speak to the children of Israel. And he has a fear of personal failure. So two fears here. And by the way, both of those fears are re really common to men. Aren't they not? When it comes to serving the Lord, there is the fear of public rejection. And there is also a fear of personal failure. And those are the two arguments that we find here in this chapter. Both of those arguments, I believe, arise out of a fear in Moses. Notice verse 1 as we read our text. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, This is the Lord's reply. 
What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. Let me just say before we proceed here, I'm not planning on turning this rod into a serpent. I know some of the children are asking that. Are you going to turn the rod into a serpent? It's not going to happen. The Bible says, uh, verse 3, And he said, Cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it, that's the serpent. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 4, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. By the way, that's the worst place to grab a serpent. You grab it by the head, so it doesn't bite you. And yet, he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. Now I, I believe here that the Lord is speaking of the same hand that is holding the rod, because he said, What is in thine hand? He doesn't say thy right hand or thy left hand. He says, what's in thy hand? And he says, a rod. And then he says, put thy hand. So we're assuming it's the same hand. So he's going to put the rod in the other hand. He's going to put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand, verse 6, was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. As we look here at this verse, if you remember in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses asking the questions of God. Those questions was, right, who am I that I should go? I'm not worthy. The second question was, uh, what am I going to say to them? And so in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is asking questions of God. In Exodus chapter 4, the Lord is asking questions of Moses. Uh, the first of the Lord's question is verse 2. What is in thine hand? And he said, a rod. The second question is verse 11. After Moses says, I, I'm not eloquent, I can speak, I'm a slow of speech. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? That's a series of questions, but it's really one question. Am I not the one who's created all these things that you are using as an excuse not to go? And so in this study tonight, we're going to focus on uh, the first question that God asked Moses. And so I would like to bring your attention to verse 2, where the Lord says to Moses, What is in thine hand? Let me ask you this. Did the Lord know what was in the hand of Moses? Yeah. So the answer is unequivocally yes. The Lord knew what was in the hand of Moses. 
And so with that answer in mind, what, why did the Lord ask that question? What's in your hand, Moses? When the Lord asks a question such as this question, it is really to teach Moses something and it is to teach us something. Uh, so the question here was meant to at this moment to direct the attention of Moses to what he already had in his hand. Now I think it's significant here because up to this point in the narrative that we read, the rod of Moses has not been acknowledged. As a matter of fact, it's kind of second nature to know that a shepherd has a rod in his hand. Wherever the shepherd goes, he, he has a rod. And so Moses, as he's approached God, he saw the burning bush and he's talking uh, with the Lord around the burning bush and asking questions and here presenting arguments to the Lord. Uh, now God is going to direct the attention of Moses to the rod that is in his hand. So there's something that God wants us to know here. There's something that God wants to teach Moses. And I believe by application, there's something that God wants to teach us. What's with the rod? Is the rod that Moses carries up to this point, does he think that there's anything special with a rod? Well, I don't think so. It's a regular tool of a shepherd. But I neither think that God thinks as well that there's anything special with the rod as well. And yet what happens in this narrative is teaching us something I believe that is very important. And so the Lord directs Moses' attention to the rod that is in the hand of Moses. And he's going to do so as we look at our text. The question that the Lord is going to ask about what is in the hand of Moses is going to arise because of the fear of Moses. And I want you to think here in verse 1, we see the fear of Moses is evident by the arguments he presents to the Lord in verse 1. Notice again, the Bible says, And Moses answered, oh, by the way, the title of the, the message tonight is, What is in thine hand? And I want us to think, I want you to think tonight, what is in your hand? And you may think, well, Pastor, I have nothing in my hand except a Bible right now. Valid point. But what is in your hand? What do you have at your disposal that God can use? So Moses speaks in fear in verse 1, and his fear is evident in the argument that he presents. And really, the fear of Moses causes him to do two things. Notice in verse 1, Moses answered and said, But behold, notice the but is, stands really as a contradiction of what God has said. God has already told Moses, tell him who sent you, uh, tell him what I'm going to do, tell him that Pharaoh is not going to listen, but then I'm going to bring you out by a mighty hand. And now Moses, understand here, we know we read, and Moses answered and said, that's the narrative, but notice what Moses says and replies to God. He says, but. And by the way, everybody knows what that entails. If you have children, you know what that entails. David, go clean your room. But. Go clean the living room. But. Put your clothes away. But. Uh, often that arises out of a contradiction. I really don't want to do this. And here's the reasons why. And often excuses are presented or arguments are presented uh, as a way to combat what was just said. And so he said, but behold, they will not believe me 
nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So notice here, his fear, first of all, caused him to contradict God's promise. Do you notice what he says? But they're not going to believe. They're not going to listen. And I say, well, wait a minute. Didn't God say that they would hearken to him? He just said it. Go back to notice in chapter 3. Notice verse 18. The Lord speaks to Moses and he says to Moses, And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So God has just told Moses, they're going to hearken to you. And Moses says, but... Notice, he doesn't say, what if they don't believe? He says, behold, they will not believe me. So it's not even a doubt, that's a contradiction. They will not believe me. Now, I think that the life of Moses up to this point, 40 years earlier, they did not receive him as a deliverer. They, they did not receive him, accept him as a judge and a ruler over them. And so probably he has this on the back of his mind thinking that they're not going to listen to me. And so here, the fear of what? The fear of uh, public failure causes him to contradict God's promise. You know, often fear does that to us. When we begin to walk in this life, we begin to fear. And what fear does in our lives, it gets us to the place where we begin to contradict God's promise. Well, God wants me to do this, but I just don't think that it's just going to work out the way I think it ought to work out. And even though we have God's promises, who He tells us He will enable us to do certain things, we will contradict God's promise because of our fear. So the problem here is not the promise of God. Rather, it is the fear of Moses. But there's a second thing that he does in his fear. His fear causes him to condemn God's plan. Do you notice with me, he says, Behold, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So, so notice here, he, he basically condemned God's plan. He, he says, God, you've laid out your plan. We read it in Exodus chapter 3. And now he thinks about God's plan and he thinks to himself, they're going to say, the Lord did not appear unto him. And, and so here, because all that Moses has is, well, all I, he just told me that I have to say, I am hath sent me. And the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, is that going to, to be enough? And so his fear causes him to condemn God's plan. God, I don't, I, don't think that is, I don't think that your plan is going to work out like you said it will. Have we ever done that? You see here, his fear caused him to dunk contrary God's promise, and also it caused him to condemn God's plan. So, that's what fear often does in our lives. But the Lord is responding here to Moses in verse 2 by asking him a question. Now, as I mentioned in Exodus 3, Moses asks the question. God answers the question. And in uh, chapter 4, Moses presents arguments 
against God's promise, against God's plan. And now the Lord is going to ask Moses a question. So the Lord here is not going to make a direct statement off the bat. He's just going to say, Moses, here, I have a question for you. Would you answer this question? And this question is really something that we uh, ought to bring our attention to because up to this point, I haven't held a rod, although Moses has had a rod the whole time, but no attention has been uh, paid to the rod because it, it's insignificant. It's kind of a, it's a side detail that up to this point does not matter. At least Moses doesn't think it matters. But God asked the question, he says, what is in thine hand? And he said, notice, a rod. A rod. Following this question, the Lord is going to manifest His power to Moses. In this biblical account, we find that Moses is really, which is significant for the Bible, he is really the first worker of miracles in the Bible, of signs and wonders. Uh, the miracles here were not done we know by the power of Moses, rather it was done by the power of God. We, we know that, but God is going to use Moses as a vessel uh, to bring forth signs and wonders. And so Moses is really in the Bible the first human instrument in the Bible to prove the power of God through signs, wonders, and miracles. And we'll see those proceed in the ten plagues a little later. But Moses here, he answers, and, and this is what he says, he says... There's a rod in my hand. That's it, a, a rod. Now what is a rod? Another name for the word rod is in the Bible is the word staff, a, a staff. A rod was uh, generally between three to six feet long, uh, I guess depending on the height of a person. I, I, I cut this this afternoon in my backyard. There's uh, some woods and I, th I thought to myself, well, let me get uh, this for an illustration. So this is about... Uh, five feet tall. Uh, there was nothing really special about this rod that Moses held in his hand. Rather, it was something that was really commonly used by the shepherd, um, by shepherds. Uh, or, or the word rod really literally means a branch. That, that's all it was. It was made of wood. A rod was typically made from a branch and had various functions in the scriptures. Let me give you a few uh, of those um, Uses in the Bible, a rod, for example, was used uh, for shepherds, by shepherds, as a chastening tool in shepherding a flock. We, we know that from uh, uh, Psalm 23. He says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He restoreth my soul. He leads me by the still waters. He says later, uh, thy rod, the Lord is my shepherd, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, the rod was used in shepherding for several things. If the sheep were going in the wrong direction, he would use the rod and just hit the sheep on one side, which would cause them to go the other direction. Uh, sometimes uh, the uh, staff had a hook on the end, and so when a sheep got stuck, often the shepherd could uh, pick the sheep if he was stuck in the mud or stuck in a ravine and reach out and, uh, uh, with, the, with the staff and pull up the sheep uh, with his rod or his staff. And so it was used as a chastening tool uh, in shepherding a flock. It was also, a rod was used as uh, an authority scepter. 
in representing one ruling over a kingdom. Often you read about a scepter or a rod or a staff that was held by the king and it was an emblem of authority and often it was either made of wood and carved or sometimes of gold or different types of metal and it represented somebody's authority over a kingdom or over a group of people. We also know that a rod was used as a throwing weapon such as a spear in battling the enemy and so and by the way, that's not just true for uh, soldiers who would make of wood, they would make a, a spear, and then they would, they would launch it at the enemy, but also, I'm not going to throw it, all right? I'm illustrating, but it's not, nobody's going to be in danger. But the shepherd could also use it if a beast came, he could also use it as a javelin and throw it at the beast that would come and attack the sheep. So it could be used as a weapon. A rod also was used as a supporting staff in long distance traveling for aid and so Moses no doubt there would be many purposes as a shepherd he would use it no doubt for his long walks for the walks in the mountains here he's on the backside of the desert in Mount Horeb and so he's probably using his staff and aiding him he is after all 80 years old he's not a a young man who's you know skipping up the mountain like a child uh, he doesn't have as much energy, but he also uses to direct the sheep. He uses it to protect the sheep. He uses it to draw the sheep after him. And he also uses it because the sheep would recognize that as a sign of authority. And they, and they are led by the shepherd. They are guided by the rod. And so Moses as a shepherd... He already had a rod in his hand and it was used... As a chastening tool and keeping sheep, it was used as a supporting staff and walking many miles. It was used as a protective tool against wild beasts uh, who would come against the sheep. It was also used to redirect the sheep in the proper direction. And so this semen insignificant rod will actually be used in many of the chapters ahead. Uh, it is interesting as we look even in our own chapter. Now notice here, it's interesting the change in language, when God asks Moses what is in his hand, he says, a rod. There's nothing special about the rod. It is just in Moses' possession. That's it. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing miraculous about the rod. It's just in Moses' hand. It belongs to him. But notice later in the chapter when Moses is going to go back, give the report to his father-in-law to his wife and so on in uh, chapter 20 uh, or chapter 4 notice verse 20 and Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the notice rod of God in his hand that's the same rod that was in his hand earlier now earlier it was just a rod but when Moses, a little later, he's going to uh, take his wife and take his children, and he's going to take with him the rod of God. So understand here what's happening here in this chapter. The things that Moses has in his hand, God is going to use the same thing, and it's going to become God's tool instead of Moses' tool. is going to display not the power of Moses. Moses has used it in his own power, in his own capacity. He has used it to help himself. He has used it to help the sheep. 
He has used it to drive the enemies of the sheep away. And so he has, it's been for his personal use. But now God takes what he has in his hand. And now this same rod that was insignificant, that doesn't represent really anything special, it has become the rod of God. A little later, if you turn with me in chapter uh, 7, we know that chapter 6, God sends Moses to Pharaoh. Aaron is going to speak on behalf of Moses. It's interesting to see the progression. We'll get there, but uh, for example, next to chapter 7, uh, notice in verse 8, notice the narrative. So the, this is going to be plague number 1. The river is going to be turned to blood. Notice verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Now again, the same rod that Moses had before the burning bush that he cast down that became a serpent, now is the same rod that Aaron has in his hand. It is indeed Moses' rod, but here it is called the rod or Aaron's rod. Notice verse 10, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servant, and he became a serpent. So here is a correction, I'm sure, on many of the uh, perhaps uh, children's Bible movies that you've seen. You've seen often Moses, he comes in, and Moses is the one casting down the rod. Not so. It was Aaron. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? I know it might contradict the movies you've watched, but Aaron is the one who cast the rod. And so it was Aaron's rod. Uh, verse 11, Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the, ma the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron, uh, Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refused to let the people go. And so here it's called again, Aaron's rod. So, well, wait a minute. It was, it was in the hand of Moses. It's Moses' rod. No, it's the rod of God. And here it's called Aaron's rod. Uh, if you turn with me to chapter 8. Uh, notice verse... 16, you have the plague of the frogs here. Notice, and the Lord said unto Moses, Exodus eight sixteen. Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast, and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. So, the Lord says to Moses, stretch out thy rod. And Moses assigns Aaron, and Aaron stretched out his rod. We're talking about one rod. And then you have the, the lice across the land. By the time you get to chapter 9, notice what happens in chapter 9. And if we go down to verse 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hell upon the land of Egypt. So somewhere along the line, do you notice here what happened? 
Moses at first, who wanted a representative in Aaron, he used Aaron, he gave his rod to Aaron, and Aaron carried out the, um, the plagues that God said, and Aaron stretched out the rod, but it's somewhere along the line, now Moses had the, has the rod back, and he is doing what God intended for him to do all along the way. So the power, the point that we're making here is the power is not of Moses, the power is of God. Um, after the uh, plagues are done in Exodus chapter 14, so they leave the land of Egypt in Exodus chapter 14 and um, verse 16. Verse, notice verse 15, Exodus 14, 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Okay, so the Egyptians behind, Red Sea in front of them, they complained to Moses and said, You brought us out here to die? So Moses prays to the Lord. The Lord, notice, verse 16, But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So, and I know again the movie uh, says, you know, often portrays Moses kind of going like this and driving the rod into the sea and then the sea opening. No, he stretched forth his rod and the sea opened. God continually makes reference to Moses. He says, stretch forth thy hand and thy rod. Use the rod, Moses. Remember, what rod was it? Moses, what's in your hand? A rod? Nothing special. But he would continue reference to Moses. Moses, use the rod. Why do that? Later in Exodus chapter 17... Exodus 17, verse 5 and 6, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did in the sight of the elders of Israel. And so we see that Moses used his rod, and he smote the rock. Water came forth. Notice in verse, Exodus 17, verse, verse 8 and 9. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose, out, uh, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of who? Of God in mine hand. So when God speaks, He says, Hey, Moses, use the rod. When Moses references the rod, He says it's the rod of God. And so here, Moses, again, this is the rod of God. So, so we ask ourselves, let's go back to Exodus chapter 4. Uh, the Lord, Moses, makes excuse. He says, look, I, I don't think that your promise is going to come true. And I really don't think that your plan is going to work out exactly like you think because I just, look, I, I see myself as unable. I just don't think they're going to believe me, whatever I say. And God then says, he does. God could have just said, well, let me show you my power, what he is going to do. He's going to turn the attention of Moses to what is already in his hand. And he says to Moses, what is in your hand? So, 
So what is, what do we, what do we learn by that? We, we might assume at this point that God to prove that Moses would, that, that God would prove that he would use Moses, that he would give maybe some supernatural manifestation that nobody has ever seen before. Something, you know, like spectacular. Something that would be remembered. You know, because a rod is just so common that it's insignificant. There's, there's nothing special about a rod. And yet God wants Moses to acknowledge what is in his hand. And so notice here in Exodus chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 2 and verse 3, the question, what is in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And so when we think about serving God, we might think at this point that, well, God, if, if you do something amazing for me, then I'm going to serve you. If you just manifest yourself real, if you somehow use some miracle to convince me that, God, I will serve you, and God doesn't do that, he say, what's in your hand? You see, God wants to use us, and he wants to use what is in our hand. And he wants to do great things with what we have. And sometimes we might think that God wants to use us as soon as he... There's something miraculous that happens, and then we can begin to serve God. And the Lord says, what's in your hand, Moses? And so he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And so he, he cast it on the ground. Praise the Lord, it didn't become a serpent. He cast it on the ground, it becomes a serpent. The Bible says he fled from the presence of the serpent. I, I think that without uh, maybe uh, putting too much stock in that, I do think that it, it kind of, there's a picture that we see there in the casting down of the rod. That uh, rod, as you think, as often it re represents authority uh, and it represents, right, the rule of kingdom. And as the rod comes down, Moses runs away from the serpent. And by the way, that's the natural reaction of man when he sees the serpent. Why? Because the serpent uh, bites back. And so Moses flees from that presence. And perhaps that represents in some fashion the fact that Israel uh, came under a kingdom authority and became, and Egypt became a snake biting back at Israel that had really helped make Egypt what it was at the time. And so he says... Uh, uh, take it by the tail, and so Moses grabs it by the tail, and it becomes a rod again, no doubt providing much comfort for him. And the Lord said unto him, Moses, then notice, after he shows that demonstration, he says, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Uh, that they may believe that the Lord God of their father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And so he had picked up the rod with his hand. And now he says, Hey, put your hand in your bosom. And so Moses put his hands in his bosom. And he says, Take it out. And he, he takes it out. And it's, it's leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy was... Basically, when somebody had leprosy, they were called unclean. Leprosy in the Bible is a representation of sin. 
And so here, after Moses, notice, Moses cast the rod on the ground, it became a serpent, and then as soon as he grabbed the rod with his hand, it became a rod again, and now he rises up probably impressed by what just happened, but then God goes a second step and He shows him a second miracle. He says, that hand that you used to pick up the rod, put it in your bosom, and He puts it in His bosom, and it comes out as leprosy. It comes out as unclean. So what is God trying to show Moses? Certainly there's the miracle and there's the sign that He can show the children of Israel, but He's also communicating to Moses that Moses is altogether unclean. And that although Moses can pick up a rod and it can a serpent and it can become a rod, Moses had to has to remember that he that is not by his power, but it is by the power of God. Because Moses himself, he is unclean. He is yes, he is unfit. He is unworthy to serve God. But nonetheless, God wants to use him. He takes puts the hand back in the bosom. It recovers its original color of the flesh. And it came to pass, notice the Lord says in verse 8, If they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy, thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon dry land. And so Moses now still has the rod what do we learn? We learn this, first of all, if we are to serve God, would you just take whatever you have and the Lord will use it? Would you just take whatever you have at your disposal and God will use it? And you may think, well, it's, it's not... Anything, my talent is not anything spectacular. I really don't have anything that I think is of any value. I, I just don't think that there is anything within my possession that can do something great for God. Do you think that Moses thought that the rod could do something great for God? The rod meant nothing. It was used for the basic necessities of his job and, and of his time and of his resources. And God says, look what's in your hand. That's what I'm going to use, Moses. What I'm saying to you that God didn't come down from heaven and give some special armor to Moses. He didn't come down from heaven and say, All right, Moses, I'm going to uh, uh, give you like a, a, um, a booming, spectacular voice. I'm going to give you this sword of fire. No, he says, I want to use what you have already at your, in your possession. And by the way, that's what God always does. Take what you have, the Lord will use it. You see, when we often do, we make a mistake thinking, well, if I only had what that person has over there, or if I had the resources that that person has over here, then maybe I could serve God. No. Use what you have, and the Lord will use it. What is in your hand? Secondly, don't think that God will use you because of some impressive resume. The question is, what is in thine hand? A rod? That is not an impressive resume. Is it? A rod, that, that's, that's it. 
That's about all I have. That's all I have in my hand. Do something with it. Cast it to the ground and see what I can do with what you have. You see, God had spent 40 years to get Moses to the place where he asked that question, Who am I that I should do this? Forty years earlier, he had tried to do things in his own strength because he thought he had the resume fit for a leader. And so God would wait 40 more years so that the resume would be gone and so that he would realize, what is in your hand now, Moses? Remember what was in his hand before? Power. He was a man mighty in word and deed. He was a man that was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. What is in your hand, Moses? Well, I got the wisdom, and I got the might, and I got the power, and I got the ability to do all those things. God's not impressed by any type of resume. Isn't it interesting that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? The thing that people say, God can't use you, God can't use that. No, God, no, no. Don't think that God will use you because of some impressive resume. Thirdly, we learn here, Release that which you are trusting in to the Lord. Release what you are trusting in to the Lord. Moses in the backside of the desert, he really has one thing to use. What I mean by that is, the rod is used for everything in the life of Moses. He walks and guides the sheep. He uses the rod for every step he takes. The sheep go the wrong direction. He uses the rod to redirect them in the right direction. The enemy comes. He, he uses it as a defense tool or he throws it to the enemy. If it has a hook on the end, he uses it to bring the sheep back to himself. So the entire life of Moses is really enabled by what is in his hand. This is what Moses has been trusting in for the last 40 years. Now, certainly, he probably had different types of rod, and over the years, some, no doubt, would be broken. He would probably have a good selection of rods. But here the point is, when God says, let it go, Moses would have to release that which he had been trusting in the Lord. He had to release it to God. Give it to the Lord. Give what you have to the Lord. And by the way, that rod would be given in the hands of Aaron. Aaron receives the rod. Is like, what's this? What did Moses say? That's what I got. That, that's what the Lord asked me. What do you have, Moses? And so Aaron's got it. I said, oh, okay. I guess we'll use this. That's all we have. It's not much against the Egyptian kingdom. It's not going to, a rod is not going to seemingly defeat an army. And so release that which you are trusting in to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Turn it over to the Lord. Can you imagine if Moses says, well, no, I, it's mine. Cast it to the ground. Pick it up. We also note here, what we learn is that remember that the Lord wants to use those who have been unclean. You know, if you think about the life of Moses, we would say, you know, we've been impressed by the events surrounding his birth. I mean, 
right? His the faith of Jochebed and Amram, um, even his his sister Miriam. Just just the whole situation is quite miraculous. But really, after the birth and the time that he spent with his parents, he grew up in Egypt and became probably mighty. He obviously had freedom to roam and to go wherever he went as a forty-year-old man. And enjoyed, had the opportunity to enjoy all the pleasures of Egypt, yet he chose to forsook those. And the point here is that Moses, throughout his entire life, he gets to the point now after 80 years that God shows him that by his hand he is a leper, that he is unclean. And by the way, early on he had, when he had approached God, he said, Uh, Take off the shoes from off thy feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And Moses had to take off the shoes. Why? Because he was in the presence of God and he knew himself that he was unclean in the presence of God. But isn't it wonderful that God wants to use unclean people? By the way, that's me and you. All of us. In the sense that our, if we think about our lives and our past, we have all been at some point unclean, ridden with sin, and yet God gets to the place where He wants to use us. And we also see here, remember that if anything great happens, it will not be because of your power or ability. Moses, cast it down, pick it up, put your hand in your bosom. This is what... I will do. Nobody here is called to be Moses. Uh, nobody has the assignment that Moses had. But I, but I do wonder if we question God and how He can use us by putting conditions on God, by maybe saying, well, look, I just don't think that People are going to listen. I don't think that I have the ability to have a fear of um, either public rejection or personal failure as Moses obviously had in this, in this passage. And so God wants to use things that seem to be insignificant. Whatever you have in your hand, God wants to use it. The rod of Moses would become the rod of God because God gave it over, or because Moses gave it over to the Lord. You see, when things are given over to the Lord, God does a much better job handling what we deem as insignificant than we do ourselves. When we think about our lives, there's many things that We use it that we think carry us through life. My money, my time, my talents, all the things in this life, that's the things that that are in my possession and I'm trusting in those things. And we know that we ought to be serving the Lord together in this world. And so, well, if... uh, Let me put it this way. We think about a... um, a church building and, and I this is my my sentiment so let me just share that with you you know I, I said Lord would you give me a million dollars so I could buy a church building 
If only just God would kind of send something from heaven like a pallet of cash or something. You know what God says about it? What's in your hand? What is in your hand? Well, Pastor, I would serve and I would do, I would be involved in this ministry if, if I was able to do this or, you know, maybe I could do more. If, and we, we think in terms of, well, if God would do this for me, then I would do this. And here God wants Moses to look inward and say, what do you have? And the question I ask for you again is, what do you have? Whatever you have, God wants to use it. And God wants to use whatever is insignificant, what seems insignificant, and He wants to do great things with it. Because that's what God is interested in doing. Isn't that how, what, he, how, what He does with us? Our lives that are broken and ridden with sin. And He saves us. He indwells us. He comes into our lives. And now He wants to use us. Us who have been broken. Us who sense that there is, uh, we're not significant. That we can make a difference in God. Says, but no, I want to do great things with you. Because that's what you have. You see, God takes whatever we have. Whatever is in us. And He wants to do great things that are beyond us. That we cannot do ourselves. So what's in your hand? Just a rod. And so we would see this rod all throughout. The rod of, of God. Whether it looks something like this or not, it was a rod nonetheless. Was there any power in the rod? It's not like a religious magic wand that Moses would like do a formula and then boom, something would happen. There's nothing spectacular, supernatural, extraordinary about the rod. There is something supernatural, extraordinary, and miraculous about God. You see, when we refuse to release to the Lord what is in our hands... God can't use it. I want to use your rod, Moses. It's my rod. But Moses, you don't understand. I, want to, I, I, I really want to use it. Just cast it down. Let it go. Trust me, Moses. And he did. And God did wonderful things. Not because of the rod. Not because of Moses. But because that's what God does. Do you want God to use you? I hope I want God to use me. I want my desire prayer is that God would use you. Let's give everything over to Him. And God will do great things. So the thing that seemed in the life of Moses, we haven't paid attention up to this point, but then God brings Moses' attention and our attention to the rod. So what is it that God wants to bring attention in your life? Say, I want to use that. Just would you let me use you? So let's ask the Lord to help us.